thrilled to be the official media partners for the Service Design Global Conference in Toronto this year and are sharing podcasts from the event as it happens. Let's get into this episode. Josina Vink, a very warm welcome to Bring the Design Closer. Thank you. So we're here in the Service Design Network uh, Global Conference in Toronto. I saw your keynote this morning and loved it. Um, But let's kick off. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you describe what you do to your friends. Sure. Um, So I'm currently an associate professor of service design at AHU in Oslo, the Oslo School of Architecture and Design. Um, But I have about kind of 10 years of working in service design and healthcare and really seeing that as trying to improve the way the service system is working for people and fundamentally changing how we think about health and care. Um, And I've kind of stumbled from work in the U.S. at the Mayo Clinic Center for Innovation here in Toronto at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, more on mental health systems, and then spent the last four years in Sweden working with Experio Lab doing my PhD there. So I'm just new to Oslo now and yeah, so I moved from practice spaces of service design into the academic space now. Wow. So um, tell me about your talk today. Sure. The talk was um, basically about how my frustration, it was came from a frustration in practice yeah. with an ability to make long-term change and feeling like even though we were coming up with good service concepts for the healthcare system that were radical and were improving people's experience and we can kind of measure the outcomes, it really wasn't sticking over the long term. Yeah, it wasn't and getting adopted. Exactly. And so I really felt like mm, that there's got to be something more we can do and that drove me to do the PhD and kind of do more research. And so what I kind of pulled out of the research process that I presented today was really about um, how we can pay more attention to some of the invisible things that are influencing our service system. So, so often we're focusing on touch points and interfaces when we're designing yeah. uh, and really thinking more about some of the norms and rules and roles. So if we're thinking about a doctor patient uh, appointment or something like that, not only do we have to think about the kind of words that are exchanged and how that interaction happens and who wears what and what the physical environment is like, but also the kind of roles the professional role of the doctor the role that we the kind of passive role that we often put on patients and uh yeah some of the norms and how we greet each other and how we interact and so we really need to get into these kind of taken for granted and entrenched social structures if we're going to have any hope of making the kind of long-term change absolutely absolutely Uh, there was some fantastic method pieces that i noticed in your talk um especially around the the role playing Mm. and the, the staging um, methods. Mm. Tell me about how that came about and, and what you learned from that experience. Sure. So over the last four years, I've been kind of embedded within Experio Lab's work in Sweden. So Experio Lab is a growing kind of movement of service designers and healthcare professionals and patients and caregivers that are trying to change the Swedish healthcare system, the culture and way of working. And when I was watching what they do, I saw some of the best aspects of what they were doing were things that were really getting people to experience the system firsthand. So some of that was, uh, you know, taking hospital staff and every Friday for 12 weeks, having them role play what the patient experience is like, strapping them down on stretchers and kind of feeling what it feels like to go through that process. Yeah. Um, and it really in those kind of moments of the kind of aesthetic, sensual, uh, tactile inputs, it really 
shifted people's ways of thinking and their understanding of their own roles and helped them kind of get out of that context. So a lot of the methods and processes that I've been working with have been derived from some of those insights of how do we get people to experience and take a hard look at their, their own selves and how they're kind of interacting within the system. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I think role play is such an interesting way to do that. And a lot of the role play that I've been doing now is we're calling it like fishbowl improv and uh, you know, a couple of people role playing a situation like a doctor patient appointment and then uh, other people kind of unpacking what are the social structures in that appointment. And one of the methods that I've been toying with based on some of that understanding is this kind of fishbowl improv where a few people are improvising a situation like a doctor patient appointment and then other people are unpacking what are the kind of underlying rules of the game in this situation. Oh, we think the doctor knows best. We think the patient should be passive or, or whatever that might yeah. be. And then as they kind of role play, the audience gets to mix up what those underlying rules are as a way to understand that we can actually shift these social structures and we're part of shaping yeah. and enacting them. Just hanging on that little uh, that, that piece there a little bit longer. When you went to do those methods in the hospitals, mm. what kind of resistance did you did you encounter with, with the stakeholders? Sure. I mean, people are generally often uncomfortable kind of putting their bodies on the line yeah. for things. and You're touching them. Yeah, yeah. We often stay in the heads doing things. So it, there is a kind of sense of discomfort. But I think actually in um, health and medical care, there's quite a lot of frontline providers that do have a lot of bodily interaction with people. So in some ways, there's a sense of uh, similarity of methods and resonance um, for some things. So, and there's, you know, simulation training that's done a lot in the health system and things like that. So there's parallels and I think people can appreciate that we can use similar ways of really looking at the kind of service and service yeah. interactions. To me, it's a much more effective way than, say, doing a traditional workshop. Mm. Like the workshop, where what we're tra yeah. really trying to get is that aha, that eureka moment. Yeah. Like, you get it yeah. now and let's try and do some change. Where mm -hmm. this here is like your fast track that process totally which is really this kind of shift that I, I i genuinely hear in the canadian north american context when i was practicing thought of design as more this like cognitive intellectual thing that you reframe problems with post-it notes that was yeah. a lot more of the way that i was practicing until i went to sweden and saw this much more experiential based way of doing things as and that actually it's our bodies and what we're feeling that triggers these changes in thought not yeah. just something that just happens that we happen to kind of click through in a cognitive sort of approach so i think yeah it, there's a lot there that can be quite transformative yeah absolutely and it's it's the role of the environment as well and in yeah. interconnectedness with the, per with the person yeah so it's it's too often just missed if you just focus on like you know the system as, yeah. a, as a as a product mm. so it's, exactly. you're taking that zoomed out approach which is what we're always talking about on the podcast yeah and i think that for me this notion of the system being connected with the individual yeah. is really important and that we have systemic selves that we're actually upholding the system and we're not sitting around you know just having a system map that we're pointing at and saying the problem is over here but actually recognizing our own role in the system yeah and, and you're experiencing it exactly absolutely so there was there was so much in your deck okay and i'd love to maybe include the deck as a link or something sure. in, in the show notes um but there was a great map that I saw, um, you know, it was like a Coldplay concert. Everyone was taking <laughs> their phones out to take a photograph of it. And yeah, I so used Coldplay as, as a little bit of a, a, bit of a joke. <laughs> but um, talk to me about this map. It was the, sure. the experiential elements and you've got things in there around disrupt and create and maintain and mm. the invisible social yeah. uh, structures. Tell me where that came about mm. and how you've used it. 
in sure. context, if you can. Yeah, so we're calling it kind of the iceberg framework, and it's essentially... I can see this taking off. <laughs> um, one side of the iceberg framework is just a simple iceberg, you know, what's above water are the physical enactments, the things that yeah. you can see and feel and hear, and that helps people kind of map, yeah, really these direct things that we can all experience in a certain situation. So again, if we go with the doctor-patient appointment, we can say, oh, there's a certificate on the wall of the doctor's credentials. There's a chair behind the desk and the computer and the patient sits on the other side and you can kind of map out what so are these the physical... that's the top of the iceberg. That's the type, top of the iceberg, yeah. exactly. And then there's kind of the bottom of the iceberg, which is these invisible social structures, the norms yeah. and rules and roles. So then, then people can start to map, okay, there's the role of the doctor as the professional. There's mm. the norms of, you know, one person speaking at a time. Usually it's mostly the doctor, whatever that is. And so you can start to unpack, oh, there's, you know, the norm that the patient goes to the doctor for care. That's kind of baked into the system. There's the belief that the doctor knows best. So you can kind of start to highlight these things below the surface of the water in the iceberg. And then what this helps to do is kind of make these invisible elements more visible yeah. so that we can actually have a hard conversation about if we're trying to make a better service system, which aspects of these social structures do we need to change? Yeah. So looking at something like a hospital, mm -hmm. it's extremely political. You yes. might end up with a hundred different yes. things below the surface. Do you then segment your your bits below the iceberg yeah so in one of the kind of iceberg models that i showed earlier on in the presentation there was kind of these three pillars hmm. in uh, how we can kind of understand these things there's more regulative pillars so we have laws and rules within the hospital for example or there's more normative pillars which are more the informal things like our roles and our norms and how we operate and then there's the kind of cultural cognitive so our beliefs and our frames and our ways of doing yeah. things so you can kind of through that start to say okay there's these kinds of beliefs there's these regulations there's which one of these do we need most to try and work at changing to enable the kind of service yeah. that we want. Yeah. And so it starts to enter into a dialogue with diverse people. And then on the kind of other side of this iceberg framework um, is the kind of create, disrupt, maintain. And that's the idea that in order to actually change these things, we have to not only create new things, but we have to disrupt some of the existing social structures. Mm. And then we need to actively maintain quite a lot of the system to have the yeah. legitimacy to do the work and for people to understand how to interact. Absolutely. So with the create and maintain bits, um, they can sometimes be at, at odds with each other. Yeah. And... Um, in, in my experience, like it's really interesting because like th there is a, there was a fantastic quote at the end of it that um, I was like, oh, I can't wait to speak to to Justina about this. But um, how do you handle the the culture? Because <laughs> the culture is what is the most cannibalistic part of the mm -hmm. whole process, yeah. where like they'll they'll kill it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, mm -hmm. the, and the organization, like like I mean, the organization, the consultancies love to create the the new shiny bright thing. Mm, sure. And the culture, if it hasn't been um, managed correctly, mm -hmm. will end up just going to go. No, we're not going to use that, mm -hmm. and they'll kill it off. Yeah. So talk to me about your experience with that, um, yeah. and, and how it's working in, within this map and this canvas. Yeah, I think actually this is a tool to. Uh, kind of bring that culture to light and then yeah. talk about it in an explicit way. The behaviors, is it? Yeah, yeah. part of the behaviors and then the kind of collective underpinning of those behaviors. The like rituals. The, the rituals yeah. and things like that, exactly. And really have a tough dialogue about, okay, if we're going to go after the kind of regulative change in these ways, is that something we can actually achieve to try and change or should we be more influencing some of the kind of norms within this hospital system or things like that? Yeah. And then we can also talk about what are the cultural 
cultural aspects that are getting in the way of the changes that we want to see and the kind of desired service system that we want. Yeah. So it really brings the kind of cultural element to the fore rather than having it be something that's hidden that we're not fully attending to mm. and we're delivering a concept that is kind of somewhat counter culture because of course we want to evolve the, our ways of working but then the culture ends up kind of eating it for breakfast as the saying goes yeah. and yeah. nothing happens so this actually says culture is at the fore and yeah. uh, we can address it and what aspects of culture are we actively shaping because yeah. we're always shaping culture through our design work so yeah so just looking at um the canvas um that you were talking about there as you identify the rituals and the problems that are, exist within the existing as-is yeah. culture, what are the kind of things that you know you did afterwards to, mm. to ensure that they were kind of being addressed? Yeah, well, I think that's actually one of the beautiful things with the kind of iceberg metaphor is that we can see that the physical enactments of things are actually interconnected with these invisible social structures. So if we want to change some of the more invisible elements, we can use some of the physical elements of the environment to actively start to shape those things. Yeah. So if, you know, if we're interested in exploring and shaping how we understand professional status, we can then look back into that kind of certificate on the wall and say, oh, is this what we want to show? Yeah. And we can, you know, some have doctors that are trying out going, you know, going in plain clothes to the clinic and seeing what that feels like and yeah. actually taking actions and breaking down what are the enactments that are upholding that kind of uh those structures a, that we're yeah, trying to change absolutely so um as i said we're coming towards the end of the episode there was a there was a couple of bits that i really wanted to uh, call out in your deck and one of them was the beautiful narrative that i heard um about your mum and you know as you were a young child you used to go and help do the garden i think everyone can relate to these kind of stories mm. tell me tell me the story and tell the listeners the story as well sure so you know, growing up, my mom was an avid gardener. She still is and, yeah, grows lots of delicious fruits and vegetables in the garden. And um, I was, you know, told that I needed to help her and we would often need to weed. And there's quite a lot of dandelions in yeah. my parents' uh, place. So um, when I was helping her, I would just immediately snap off the tops of the dandelion. Yeah. That was um, kind of my response. And super quickly, they would, of course, grow back, much to my surprise, but not my mother's. And she kind of scolded me and said, you know, you have to pull these dandelions out by the roots. And I see that is something that we need to get better at as service designers is really being attentive to the roots of the physical enactments that we're working with in what we're designing. And yeah. so, yeah, I think there's so much below the surface that are invisible that are interconnected with the, what we're trying to redesign yeah. that we need to pay more attention Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Dandelions is one thing, but try remove bamboo. I've got bamboo in my <laughs> garden as well. I don't want to tackle that. Yeah, it's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so, you know, there was one uh, other piece that I'm going to read out of its prose and it was, if a factory is torn down, but the rationality uh, which produced it is left standing, then the rationality will simply produce another factory. If a revolution destroys a systemic government, but the systemic patterns of thought that produced that government are left intact, then those patterns will repeat themselves in the succeeding government. There's so much talk about the system and so little understanding. And that's by Robert M. Persig from the book Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance in 1974. How did you come across that? Um, well, yeah, I mean... It's a wonderful book. You should yeah. definitely read it and find it. Um, I'll throw a link in the show notes. It's Yeah, there's lots of 
yeah, wonderful reflections in there. Yeah. But for me, it was just this powerful statement about what we're missing in our way of thinking about systems yeah. and this notion that it's, yeah, we need to unpack our ways in which we're connected to systems and we're thinking about them. And that's what's really upholding and, you know, entrenching our systems in a particular kind of path that's creating path dependency. So, yeah, really this need to unpack ourselves, our beliefs, our social structures that really took me. Yeah. Josina, thank you so much for your time. I had such a good time chatting with you. If so people fun. want to reach out to you, how might they do it? Oh, they can connect with me on Twitter at uh, Josina Vink and go from there. Uh, with LinkedIn as well? Uh, yeah, LinkedIn, I'm there too. Perfect. Sure. We'll throw a link into both, uh, into the show Sounds notes. Good. Thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation or community, hop on over to thisishcd.com, where you can join the Slack community and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world or join the Hate City newsletter where you can win books and get updates. Subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and listen to any of our other podcasts such as Getting Started in Design, Bringing Design Closer with myself, Jerry Scullion, or Power of Ten with Andy Pallane, or Decoding Culture with Dr. John Curran, Prod Pod with Adrian Tan, and Ethnopod with Jay Hasbrook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.